the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Yo, Tony, what's good, my man? Oh, hey, Chris. Oh, shit, hold on one second, man. Um, Sir, sir, excuse me, sir. Sir, you forgot your book. Oh, thanks, Tony. That was a close one. Oh, nice. Data breaches, crisis and opportunity. Phenomenal read, sir. You don't want to lose that one. Yeah, buddy. I'm actually learning how to manage data breaches as the true crisis that they are. Anyway, gotta run. Later, guys. Cool, man. I'll see you around. So, Tony, I'm kind of in a rush, so I need a shot. Although, give me something mysterious, powerful, and just straight-up badass. Well, in that case, my friend, prepare yourself for the alien brain hemorrhage. Here's how we do it here at Barcode. You're going to pour one ounce of peach schnapps into a shot glass. Then very carefully layer a half ounce of Irish cream on top. After that, drizzle a few drops of grenadine. Finally, add a splash of blue carousel. Ooh, you know what? I'll take one of those. Wait, Sherry Davidoff? How did you get in here? This is the Barcode Podcast opening sketch. No guest has ever been able to break through into this segment. Well, Chris, I hacked your podcast. I'm no ordinary guest, as you'll soon find out. That is some serious skill. Well, hell yeah, since you're here, you want to grab a high top? I can't wait to hear about what you've been up to. Absolutely. Let's go. That was some next level shit right there. I need a moment to process this. I'll see you all next round. Sherry Davidoff is the CEO of LMG Security and author of Data Breaches. As a recognized expert in cybersecurity and data breach response, Sherry has been called a security badass by the New York Times. Her professional experiences are featured in the book, Breaking and Entering, The Extraordinary Story of a Hacker Called Alien. She is a GX certified forensic examiner and pen tester, receiving her degree in computer science and electrical engineering from MIT. Her latest book, Ransomware and Cyber Extortion, will be published early next year. Sherry, it's an honor to have you join me today. Welcome to Barcode. Thank you so much, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So I see that you are uh, still keeping your, your hacker skills sharp. I've never had anyone penetrate through my opening sketch like that. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I broke in. Hacking the brain. <laughs> That's right. So, um, yeah, before we get into it, I, I, I recently read that you had the opportunity to uh, to brief the Senate committee about the current state of ransomware. And I just want to hear about that a little bit, if you don't mind. I bet that was quite the experience for you. Yeah, it was really a pleasure after 20 years in the industry to get to talk directly to the people that are making the laws and kind of fill them in on what we see um, in terms of incident response and how the criminals are actually using laws and regulations as leverage when they're conducting extortion attacks. And I think that's really important for everyone to understand, not just our legislators, that they'll come out and say, you know, HIPAA or GDPR, like if you don't want to be embarrassed or if you don't want to get a big fine, pay us and we'll keep it quiet. So we 
really need to be looking at how can we incentivize people to report because we need to get some visibility. We need to understand how often these things are happening. And we need to make sure that the victims don't get punished twice um, because really this is about protecting our economy and our society. And so we really want to get uh, information about how the problem is happening and not give the criminals any more leverage than we have to. Yeah, absolutely. What was their overall reaction to it? Well, ransomware is a big problem. And, you know, one of the things we talked about was that we are seeing a shift. Um, for the past couple of years, criminals have been focusing on locking organizations up and holding them, them hostage, what I call denial-based extortion attacks. If you remember with security, we're trying to protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of information. And so there was this focus on making information resources unavailable. And what we're seeing this year is a huge shift towards attacking the confidentiality of information. They are stealing files and threatening to publish them unless you pay them a fee. And in the United States, there are very few laws or opportunities for victims to protect themselves after data has been published. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. You can't control how that information is used. And so that increases the harm that happens because of this. And so we really need to be looking at cybersecurity, the, the root issues here, the fact that we are storing too much data. Data is hazardous material and we need to start treating it that way. We can do simple things like reducing our data and that will reduce our risk. So we really talked about some of the root problems, the trend towards what I call exposure extortion and how that's likely to continue over time. Because you know, if, if hackers don't have to deploy ransomware software, if all they have to do is steal information and threaten to publish it, that's a lot less work and it's been very effective. So I anticipate we're gonna see that going forward and we really need to shift that mindset in our laws as well as our actions um, and start thinking about extortion in general as opposed to just ransomware specifically. So they asked a lot of great questions. They really wanted to get to the root of it. We actually went well over time. Uh, and I was really impressed at, at the questions and the level of depth that they wanted to go into. That's awesome. Now, I'm glad to hear that and know that you were able to make that connection with them. Talk to me a little bit about LMG security. What are you up to there? What are some of the initiatives you got going on and you know, how did that get started? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I started my cybersecurity consulting company in 2009, right around the time that people started using the word cybersecurity yep. and do penetration testing. So we break into companies and write reports about it. And then if companies get hacked, we'll come in, handle the investigation, get to the root of the matter. We also do training and compliance. So we, we offer that holistic set of cybersecurity services. And I can tell you the industry has just evolved so rapidly over the past 12, 13 years. It's just been a pleasure to, to have my finger on the pulse the whole time, but it also requires a lot of innovation, a lot of adapting very quickly, um, which is fun, but also a lot of work. Um, so yeah, that's what we do. And we're just constantly trying to stay on the bleeding edge of a very fast moving industry. I think the last time that we caught up, you were actually preparing to send a team over to a healthcare clinic <laughs> without naming any specifics or the specific organization. Um, if you could speak to, you know, how these engagements go down and what are, you know, some of the, the key takeaways that you found since you, you began doing this. 
Yeah, so it's always nice to look at a recent example. This was a, a healthcare organization, a mid-sized healthcare organization, and our team in this case posed as printer technicians. And um, some of the sneaky things they did were number one, they called ahead. They said, "Hey, we're your printer company." In fact, they needed to find out what the printer company was. So they had this interesting roundabout conversation where they called and they they asked, "Hey, read us the what's the logo on the label? What's your printer company?" And then in the same conversation, the person got a little suspicious and said, "Who are you with?" And they said, "Oh." We're with your printer company. Um, and it's funny, people are, you know, you hire people because they're trusting, because they're friendly and they're helpful and they want to get things done, but that can definitely turn around to bite us. Um, so this was a, uh, well, I like to think all social engineering tests are successful. Either it's successful for us or successful for the client. Um, in this case, the pen testers were extraordinarily successful. Um, they went around, uh, quote, checking printer odometers, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. And that gave them an excuse used to walk through everywhere in the building. Uh, people let them into the server room. They were in one of the facilities for over seven hours. I was shocked because wow. I called them at night and I was like, where, where are you? You're still in there? Um, I mean, I can tell you from my experience uh, that usually you're in and out in a pretty short, usually I'm in and out in a pretty short period of time. Um, I don't like to linger because I don't want to get caught, but yeah, they, they were in there for a while. Yeah, because uh, with each you know second is like, your chances increase of being caught or, or detected. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Just like a real burglar, you know, you just want to go in and out. In and out. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so awesome. So then after these type of engagements, do you offer training? Do you provide assessments? What was sort of, sort of the follow up with the organization? Yeah, well, I should back up. I'm a little more structured than probably most uh, consultants that you'll work with. I think it's really important to establish some very clear goals up front. Like, what are you trying to test? Are you trying to test your visitor access procedures? Are you trying to test your clean desk policy? And what aren't you trying to test right now? Because organizations can only handle so much change at once. And you don't want to demonstrate and document huge problems that you have no ability to fix. So I think it's important to understand what, what each client's goals are, what they want to get out of it, and then actively craft a test and scenarios that will test that specific thing. So I really believe in uh, the Sun Tzu a quote or to paraphrase um, Sun Tzu, win first and then do battle. Plan ahead and then execute. I love that. And then afterwards, I like to work with the client, do a walkthrough the facility, you know, do that lessons learned. And depending on the outcomes, you may want to do policy updates, you may want to do training updates, work with the staff. And usually security problems are people problems. So it's all about communication. It's all about documenting expectations. And certain things like passwords are a great example. You know, at this particular clinic, we found passwords all over the place. And usually that's indicative of an issue where people don't have a better way to store passwords or they haven't been trained. And so you have to, it's kind of like when you want to change the course of a river, you need somewhere for the water to flow. You've got to give them a, an alternate that is more secure, but also still works for their everyday, everyday jobs. Very interesting. And that could also vary due to the size of the organization. So SMBs may not have those resources. So you have to get creative, right? But you need to also bring those issues to the surface and make them aware that it is a risk. Absolutely. And there are cheap and effective ways that organizations can improve their security. Some people don't realize how cheap and quick it can be. It's not about spending, you know, $100,000 on the big fancy security box. Sometimes it's as simple as like delete data you don't need. And even small businesses can do that. Yeah. Uh, free password managers. I mean, they exist Absolutely. too. So. Yes. Let's talk that up. That's great. Definitely. So um, 
LMG focuses on pen testing as well as IR services. You know, can you talk to your involvement with that and, you know, how often you deal with the the post breach type situations? Yeah, we're routinely handling um, cybersecurity incidents. We work with all the major insurers, major law firms. uh, And I can tell you that handling a cybersecurity incident when you have an insured is very different than handling it when the victim does not have insurance. So that's a a huge uh, difference that is good for every organization to be aware of. Um, But yeah, we do the incident response. We learn from that. We're always watching what the attackers are doing. We use that in our training. And that also informs our pen testing process. So you look at things like the leaked Conti playbook um, that just came out this fall, where the Conti ransomware gang had their whole playbook leaked. How do you hack into companies? And we're looking that with, at that and sharing it with our pen test team so that they can learn new tricks and also using that to inform our response um, so that we can predict what we're likely to see uh, coming from different groups. Yes. Yeah, so on the topic of cyber insurance, you know, it tends to get confusing, especially for SMBs, although most importantly, from your perspective, is it worth it? Oh, well, cyber insurance uh, does not come in a standard form. So every cyber insurance policy is different and it depends which one you're buying. I can tell you, you need to look at the services that are provided and the coverage that is provided, but it can absolutely be worth it. Um, the most important type of cyber insurance is that breach response coverage, especially if you're a small to mid-sized organization, because they basically act as like a meta incident response team for thousands of organizations. So you get hacked, you call your cyber insurer, they will help coordinate and get you a breach coach, which is an attorney that specializes in this. They will call in a forensics or response team. They may even pull in a public relations team. They help get all those people together very quickly. So having that support from experienced professionals in the event of an incident is huge. Yeah. So I went down that rabbit hole and uh, I found that there are differentiators and there are a ton of providers to select from. So It's a challenge for organizations to select the best fit for them. And I think it comes down to just fully understanding the offerings and what's available to you. Well, and this year, it's all about how do you keep your policy? (laughs) Because... Last year, the cyber insurers saw loss ratios of uh, jump up by over 25 points. And that means they're taking huge hits. And so they're really looking to reduce the risk. So they are evaluating insureds. Uh, we're seeing a lot of organizations just getting rejected from cyber coverage altogether, or they're getting pressure from insurance companies to fully implement multi-factor authentication and things like that. Um, we're also seeing premiums jump up dramatically. I've been doing a lot of cyber insurance policy reviews because the coverage is less. Um, on the flip side, and this was something we talked about with the um, Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. Uh, on the flip side, the cyber insurers are doing more than really any other industry to um, to affect change and to really create incentives for for all of their insureds to adopt proactive security measures. So we really want to be working collaboratively with, with them. And this year, for the first time, we're starting to see them speak with a unified voice. And that's really great to see. That is great to see. Definitely. So, yeah, with insurance, I've noticed specific ransomware coverage as well you know something that you have pointed out prior is that there is no one type of an attack so when you look at the anatomy of an attack 
it's never the same. And and the most prevalent and damaging attack that we see within security and outside of security is ransomware. We see it on the news. We read it on our news feed. I'd like to peel back that layer a bit. So if you wouldn't mind, let's dissect how a ransomware attack really occurs. Absolutely. So I have a new book coming out, Ransomware and Cyber Extortion, where we actually walk through the anatomy of a cyber extortion attack. And I think what what many people don't realize is that there's when you get hit with ransomware, that's the tip of the iceberg. Because first, the attackers are going to break into the organization. So there's preparation, and they may be targeting you specifically, but much more often, your target of opportunity. They're just blasting out phishing emails, for example, or maybe they've purchased a stolen username and password for an RDP server, and they're just logging into it. So they prepare, they enter your organization, they get a foothold, and they expand within the organization, and then they're going to do an appraisal. What do they have? You know, what are your crown jewels? Uh, what could they use as leverage? They may not even go in with the intent of installing ransomware. We're also seeing a surge of initial access brokers. So again, uh, as cybersecurity evolves, the criminals are evolving as well. And you can see in the dark web marketplaces that they're selling access. So they'll get a foothold, they'll figure out what they have access to, they'll set a price, and then they'll peddle it on the dark web. And you may well see a totally different cyber criminal gang purchasing access to the victim's network and deciding if they want to just exfiltrate data or if they want to launch a ransomware attack. So those are the next phases, appraisal, exfiltration. Then if they are going to install ransomware, they'll do what we call priming. So they'll get the environment ready to deploy all of this software or malware. And then finally, they'll detonate ransomware. And before they detonate ransomware, they usually have a good understanding of what they can use as leverage. So we see um, one of the things we specialize in at LMG is ransomware. We've been actively negotiating cyber extortion and ransomware attacks really since the beginning of the company, but we saw a surge in 2016. Um, And and now we're seeing that they'll, uh, they're aware of the limits of the cyber insurance policy. They make references to the financial reports of the organization. So they are deliberately collecting those during the appraisal phase and using them as leverage in the negotiation. And then they're going to launch that extortion attack. Um, often they're monitoring communications as they're responding. So they may be, you know, we'll see criminals say, how was your Zoom call <laughs> to the response team? So you really need to think about how do you respond to that? But again, there's that whole lead up where often they've been in, in the organization for weeks, if not months, before they even decide to either install ransomware or execute a exposure extortion attack. Wow, very interesting. So they are extremely methodical and, and just the level of recon that they're doing and the intel that they have into these cyber insurance providers, they use that data to their advantage. Yep. Yeah, we see them negotiating for amounts that are just under the limits of the cyber insurance policy frequently. They're frequently looking at that. And in fact, in the Conti playbook, there's references to insurance where they're specifically telling their affiliates and the employees of their affiliates, um, hey, look for their insurance policies. Have you personally ever had to work directly with cyber criminals in the negotiation process or is that typically done by the organization? Oh, no, that's we do that regularly. And I've negotiated with criminals myself. Yep. Yeah. So I've never spoken with anyone that communicates directly with these ransomware gangs. How does that work? Is it over email? Is it over phone? 
you know, how does that correspondence typically happen? Yeah, so there's the initial notification where they let you know that you've, you know, been hacked and you're being held for ransom. And that's, you've probably seen ransom notes on desktops. What you may not have seen is that they often leave a voicemail for the leadership of the firm. Um, sometimes they'll make computers yell out loud uh, to let you know they've been hacked. Uh, the follow-up communications these days will typically happen in one of two ways. Either there's going to be an email exchange or often they have portals. So there's literally, um, and the Sidini Kibi gang, um, which was a very prevalent ransomware gang, is a great example where they had a chat portal. And um, it's very important to treat it like a business deal. I think where we see these things go wrong is where the victim is emotional about it. What they don't realize is that the person at the other end is often an employee, often in some faraway country. Uh, they're just trying to feed their families. They're employed. And um, they, to them, it's a business, to them, it's a business and you really need to treat it that way. So you want to go in with a cool head. Don't, we have some do's and don'ts of, um, ransom negotiation at our firm. Um, but you don't want to lie to them because they probably have way more information than you want them to. Uh, they are often willing to negotiate based on timing. So if you want a discount, you can say, I can get you fast payment within 24 hours. And that's where it's really important to understand the ins and outs of cyber insurance. Because if you do have ransomware coverage, you may well get coverage for the ransom payment as well as all the negotiation support leading up to that, but you typically have to get approval from your insurer first. And when you're selecting your insurer, you want to make sure they're responsive. Um, nine times out of 10, insurers are very responsive and we'll get back to you right away. But I have seen cases go terribly wrong because there's a bunch of red tape in the insurer within the insurer. And it takes like two, you know, we have one where we saw it took two weeks for the insurer to approve this um, $975,000 ransom payment. And the attackers were angry by the end of it. And that's not what you want. So you really need to make sure you understand the responsiveness of your cyber insurer and how the nuts and bolts of the coverage will actually work um, when you're selecting your vendor. Great point. So let's take time to understand the policy and what's included. And then hopefully then things will become much clearer in terms of what these policies offer. So. A follow-up to that then, and I have to ask this, is there ever a justified reason for an organization to pay the ransom? Every organization's situation is unique. You know, the city of Baltimore can choose not to pay because they're not going to go out of business. You know, um, that said, uh, you can make an argument that it's very damaging for the city or for residents when they spend $18 million for what was a $100,000 ransom. You know, that came a good chunk of those millions of dollars came out of the parks and recs budget, rec budget for the city. So you're making those very real trade-offs. And, um, you know, where where I think there are some especially hard challenges are where you see like medical organizations that are locked up. And they it's not even that they don't have backups. It's that sometimes the criminals have sought out the backups, destroyed the backups, and there's literally no way they're going to get patient data back unless they pay a ransom. I mean, that is absolutely a scenario that we see all too often. And that means that patients are going to be hurt. And so when you get into that situation where you you pay to get the data back or people are hurt, I feel like that's the time where we need to give uh, the victims support and we you may need to pay a ransom. And it's been concerning to see a lot of talk of um, stopping those cryptocurrency payments to criminals, because while I too would like to do that, 
it's like trying to cure a cold by stopping people from sneezing. You know, it's it's just not going to get to the root of the problem and people will get hurt. So what we really need to do is focus on putting proactive measures in place, supporting our communities um, before you can get to the point of just outright banning ransom payments. Like we just need to get to a better place where this isn't happening as often and we have realistic alternatives. At one point, I heard that it was going to become illegal to pay a ransom. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I mean, that's some that's a concept that has been thrown around a lot this year. And again, I think people need to understand there will be some serious negative consequences of that. And one issue is we don't even see how many times ransom payments are occurring right now because there are no clear reporting requirements. In fact, um, if you if you need to understand your reporting obligations, you typically have to hire an attorney, understand the laws in all 50 states, understand if you've been hit with a data breach. It's a very expensive process. And many victims, especially smaller organizations, don't have the time or the money or the expertise to invest in that. And so they're not reporting it at all. And so, again, just to emphasize, we need to get more visibility. We need to help uh, victims feel comfortable reporting so that we can get a handle and a full picture on the, on the problem in order to come up with solutions. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then where do you see ransomware going in the future? You know, we spoke about the anatomy of a ransomware attack, which is, you know, skeletal. Then you have these different variants which add complexity to the detection and the response aspect. Do you see ransomware staying with the variants evolving? And, you know, from your perspective, how do you see ransomware morphing in the years to come? I think that it's going to become less of an issue that hits the headlines uh, for a few reasons. Number one, it's going to become endemic. Uh, we've already seen organizations doing a much better job of taking backups. We're seeing pressure from cyber insurance companies to put multi-factor authentication in place, to not have RDP ports open. Every ransomware case I see is obviously preventable with cheap solutions. And we need a process of educating um, organizations and incentivizing them to prevent those. That said, we are seeing a shift to exposure extortion where they're threatening to publish the data. And this is a far lower investment for the criminals. They don't have to deploy ransomware. They don't have to buy ransomware software. They don't have to prime the environment and deploy it. All they have to do is use standard IT tools to copy data out and then say, hey, I'm going to publish it unless you pay me money. And that is really scary for the victims. And they're making a lot of money with a lot less effort. So we're already seeing case after case where they're not deploying ransomware at all. They're just engaging in exposure extortion and threatening to publish that data. We're also seeing a bunch of law enforcement busts and criminals being taken down, which is fabulous. Um, however, if the criminals are scared, they're just not going to be as public about it. And I think one of the benefits uh, from having been in the industry for 20 years is that I can see that we've been here before. I don't know if you remember, Chris, from 2001 and 2002 and 2003, we had Blaster and Slammer and Ninja and Code Red and all these major viruses that were literally taking down networks. And what happened? We invested in patching. We invested in firewalls. And so what was the criminal's response? They started to make malware that was more stealthy. They found ways to, put, to gain a foothold without making as much noise. 
And I think what we're going to see are uh, criminals in our next phase. I think it's going to be less visible, more subtle. Criminals are going to find ways to steal your information and to monetize that without notifying the victim. 90% of the victims I see right now only know they've been hacked because the criminals are telling them. Mm. Yeah, we have no incentive for organizations to implement detection systems. And the one uh, exception to that is healthcare organizations, because you have to presume a breach unless you can show otherwise. But most other kinds of data, um, you don't have to presume you've been hacked unless you show otherwise. It's kind of like, oh, if I don't see it, it didn't happen. And we're also seeing data brokers um, that are buying data from other data brokers, which then buy data from other brokers. And so there's this opportunity to launder stolen data, which means it can be monetized. And I think that's what we're going to see. So it's going to be less in the headlines, but no less damaging to the American economy. Stay tuned. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So I definitely want to hit on uh, books for a moment. So you've authored several books, one being Data Breaches, Crisis and Opportunity. Uh, what can our listeners or potential readers expect from that book? So uh, data breaches was a labor of love. Um, the word, the term data breaches didn't even emerge until 2005. And so again, watching this, I had the opportunity to grow up in the industry and just see how this snowballs into an avalanche. Um, and so data breaches actually walks you through and points out, first of all, how, how breaches happen, what a breach is, which is nobody agrees on at this point, um, and then how you handle it. Uh, and we go through different kinds of breaches from payment card breaches to healthcare breaches. There's a chapter on extortion, exposure cases, cloud. Um, and really, I, my goal with this has been to create a, a piece, a book that will last. So you can pick it up in five years and still get to some of these fundamental principles like data is hazardous material. And to reduce your risk, you need to reduce your data. I mean, that's fundamental. And it's, it's just a way of reframing it. So check it out. Um, there's an opportunity in every crisis and data breaches are absolutely crises. So all is not lost. It's not the end of the world if you suffer one, um, but you, it's always helpful to plan ahead. And you mentioned that you're about to drop another one on the world that's focused on ransomware. Can you give us some insight into that one and when we can expect it? Yep. So the book will be out in early 2022 and it's called Ransomware Ex and Cyber Extortion Response and Prevention. And so we will go through um, how ransomware attacks occur, the anatomy of an attack, and then our typical response to that. And there are so many ways in a ransomware attack that you can dramatically reduce the damage caused by it. So we make a point of pointing those out and giving our readers best practices for responding to a cyber extortion attack so that you can reduce your damage, reduce your risk of a secondary infection and get yourself in a better place going forward. Awesome. And, and I assume that would be targeted to any size organization, small, large, anyone can take advantage of those best practices. Absolutely. Yes. I think it's very important for it to be scalable. It has to scale up and scale down. And we really make a point of hitting on some fundamental topics that anybody can, uh, that will help everybody. I'm looking forward to my advanced copy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I have to shout out another book called Breaking and Entering the Extraordinary Story of a Hacker Called Alien. This was written by Jeremy N. Smith, and it goes into more details about your days at MIT and your experiences as a hacker turned security consultant. So essential read right there. I have my copy. 
you know, what was that experience like? And I noticed that your name isn't included anywhere in the book. Was that intentional? No, it was a very scary experience for me. I did not do it. I thought that the book was going to be about like the industry in general. And when I found out that it was about me specifically, I'm a, I'm a very private person. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to be named. Um, turns out it's pretty easy to figure out who I am. Um, and I've learned to embrace it. Uh, we got a lot of positive responses. I didn't know how helpful it would be to other women who were entering the industry. Um, and it's been really nice just to hear a, a positive response to that. Um, but yeah, it was really intense. Uh, Jeremy did a fabulous job researching. I mean, he literally, at one point I was like, I can't do more interviews. I'm just going to drop off a bucket of my diaries from the past 20 years. And I'm really sorry. And he actually went through them. There was one point where I was like, I didn't actually think this. And he was like, actually, it's from an entry in like May of 2007. So I feel like he he knows me better than I knew me at the time. <laughs> wow. So he resurrected a lot of those stories that you may have uh, forgotten about. Yes, he got it straight. A lot of the stuff straight from those diaries. Interesting. So I see you're sipping on something over there. What do you got going on? Oh, I am. So we are fortunate here in Missoula, Montana, uh, the cybersecurity hub of America, to be right across the street from the Rhino Bar. Um, the Rhino Bar is a classy dive bar, and they actually make their own barrel-aged old-fashioned. So I told them I was doing this cool barcode podcast, and they made me this little care package with um, this little jar of maraschino cherries and some orange slices so that I could just assemble it this morning right before the podcast because they don't open till 11 and I could have it while I was um, working with you today. So many thanks to the Rhino for making sure I was I had something good to drink this morning. And uh, two doors down from us, I think we may have more distilleries per capita than any other state in the nation from what I can tell. Um, two doors down from us is the Montgomery Distillery where they make their own bottle of Sudden Wisdom rye uh, because who doesn't need Sudden Wisdom? So I've heard about, you know, the, the breweries and, and where you go in Montana throughout all of your adventures and all of the places that you have visited and presented and, and spoken at, where would you say is the coolest bar that you've ever been to? Oh, well, I mean, I love speakeasies. I just like the concept of secret. There's one I love in New York uh, called Please Don't Tell, where you go into a little hot dog joint. And then um, if you know me, you know, I also collect phones. So I love a good pay phone. And you have to go into a phone booth and pick up the phone and ask to be let into this little speakeasy. And then the back of the phone booth opens up. And you can go into this little speakeasy and hide out at the bar. And then if you want hot dogs, they'll pass them through the wall. Yeah, that's insane. I love speakeasies and, and bars with, you know, secret entry points. So, yeah, let's talk about hacking bars for a second um, and, and hacking people in bars. It's got to be one of the easier places to social engineer someone. I mean, obviously, right? I don't know. Uh, universities are pretty easy. Sorry, everybody. Hospitals are pretty easy because you have to be very trusting. Um, but and I wouldn't, you know, I, as a professional, I can't condone hacking uh, unless you have a signed statement of work, everybody. Of course. But in hypothetically, if I were going to hack a bar, I would totally want to hack the Sonos system, right? So my favorite album is Deltron 3030, of course. And I love the song Virus in particular. I want to devise a virus to bring dire straits to your environment. Crush your corporations with a mild touch. Trash the whole computer system. And revert you to papyrus. It's like they foresaw ransomware. 
So in theory, not recommended. Don't try this at home. Uh, you might want to like unplug the dart machine, get on that same network segment and take over the Sonic system. That would be awesome. That's right. Yeah, that would be freaking great. And um, if you go to, uh, I think it might be on barcode site, but it's definitely on my glandon.dev site. I actually put together a cybersecurity playlist and Deltron 3030 is on that. I have about 30 to 40 songs that are security themed. So that's, that's definitely on there for sure. Well, I hope you link to that in this episode notes. And clearly we have the same interests. Like, come on, whiskey and music. Like, you got to play. <laughs> you can't beat it. And you're bringing people in. They, they, people hear that. I'm going. That's it. Um, I just heard last call here. Do you have time for one more? I got time for one more. Awesome. If you opened up a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be? And what would your signature drink be called? Ooh. Well, that's a great question. I'm an alien, so I'm going to name my bar the Spaceship so everyone can come on my spaceship and we're going to serve some drinks. I've really been craving old fashions this fall, so we're going to do an old fashioned with some Montana whiskey and all hang out in our spaceship. And I think I'm going to do a spaceship, Chris, and not a planet because I like to zip around anywhere we want to go. We can go through hyperspace. We can go wherever you want. We'll do some hyper jumps. What do you think? I like it. I'm just thinking it's going to be a one-way trip for me because I probably won't leave. (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) I'd hang with you. Awesome. So in case our our patrons missed you here today, where can we find you online? You can follow me on Twitter at Sherry Davidoff. You can drop me a line on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Or you can visit my company's website at lmgsecurity.com. Our tagline is achieve nothing. So look for that so you know you've gotten to the right place. Awesome. And I'll get those links up on the show notes as well. So it'll be an easy click away for our listeners. So excellent, Sherry. Thanks again so much. Uh, Appreciate your time. You take care. I'm looking forward to the book and uh, be safe. Thanks so much, Chris. Have a great day. You too. Barco patrons. If you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash barcode podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, check out the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.